Hi, this is Pastor Chris from Pure Church in Fort Pierce, Florida. We want to welcome you to our new series called Surrender, Taking Off the Old and Putting on the New, where Pastor Nick talks about the process of surrendering our lives to Jesus and living a life pleasing to God. We hope you enjoy the series, and don't forget to join us in service every Sunday at 11 a.m. So those of you that are brand new, we're always like this. We're just a family, and we have fun, right? Imagine coming at you like, it's just too much. And for those of you who don't know what drunk is, because we use that word a lot around here, when you, get, when, you, when, you come, when you come into the presence of God, you are overwhelmed by His love, and it messes you up. It like wrecks you, and then you can't think straight. Listen, when you fall in love with a hot woman, you, I know, Mike, you, you, I got one too. Like, you are overwhelmed with this desire for this princess. Like, you can't think straight. Your life revolves around this person, right? Like, I can't live without her now. Like, 23 years later, you know, it's like you become one. She knows what I'm thinking. She knows me. She, can, she, she, she knows everything about me. She knows me better than I know myself. And that's the relationship God wants with you. The relationship is you're in Him and He's in you. And you're so in love and one that you don't know where you end and He begins and He begins and you end. You're, you're in unity with God. And in the beginning, I didn't understand a lot of things. You know, you come out of the world, you don't understand worship. You don't understand any of the principles in the Bible. All you know is your life, your desires, what you want, who's hurt you, your goals, the stuff that you desire for yourself. But when you come to God and you surrender your life, it is just the beginning of a life of surrender. Look at the person next to you say, it's a life of surrender. Am I making sense so far? Okay, wonderful. Open your Bibles to the book of Matthew. And I'm going to do my best. Matthew chapter 16. Last week we started an introduction to a surrender series. Say surrender series. And so today I want to continue along the lines of surrender. And... Um, Let's just read the word. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation. It says, One day a Pharisee and a Sadducee came to test Jesus, demanding that he shows them a miraculous sign from heaven to prove his authority. Look at the person next to you and say, prove. He replied, you know the saying, red sky at night means fair weather tomorrow. Red sky in the morning means foul weather all day. You know how to interpret the weather signs in the sky, but you don't know how to interpret the signs of the times. Verse 4. Only an evil, say evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. So Jesus is saying, if, you're, if you want me to prove myself to you through a sign, then I consider you evil and adulterous. I've been there. 
I've been there. <laughs> you know, like, God, you've got to show up, man. The only sign I will give them is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Who knows who the prophet Jonah was? He, he ran from God. He ended up getting into a storm. God gave him an assignment. He went the opposite direction. He ended up in the belly of a whale for three days. And then he was spat out after he kind of repented, right? I'll do what you say. And Jesus was in the grave for three days, but then he rose on the third day. The only sign that God is going to give us is the sign of the cross. And God proved his love to us on the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we hated God, we weren't looking for God. He came, he went to the cross, he died for our sins so that we could have relationship with God. That's the love of God. Look at somebody and say, God loves me. He gave his life for me. There's nothing greater than God can do than give his one and only son for you. Because he gave the best that he had. Can you say thank you, Jesus? Verse 5. Later, after they crossed to the other side of the lake, the disciples discovered they'd forgotten to bring any bread. Watch out, Jesus warned them. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. At this, they began to argue with each other because they, had brought, they hadn't brought any bread. Jesus knew what they were saying, so he said, You have so little faith. Why are you arguing with each other about having no bread? Don't you understand yet? Don't you remember the 5,000 I fed with five loaves and the baskets of leftovers you picked up? Or the 4,000 I fed with seven loaves and the large baskets of leftovers you picked up? Why can't you understand that I'm not talking about bread? So I say, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then at last they understood that he wasn't speaking about the yeast in the bread, but about the deceptive teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Verse 13. Then Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, and he's asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Others say Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied, you are blessed, Simon, son of John, because my father in heaven has revealed this to you. You did not learn this from any human being. Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock I will build my church, and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. Can you say amen? amen. <clears throat> and I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you forbid on earth will be forbidden in heaven. And whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Then he sternly warned the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From then on, Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day he would be raised from the dead. 22. But Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Heaven forbid, Lord, he said, this will never happen to you. Jesus turned to Peter and said, Get away from me, Satan. 
just pause. Imagine Jesus calling you Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view and not from God's. Look at somebody and say, when you see things from a human viewpoint, you're not seeing things from God's viewpoint. Do you have a God perspective about your life? Do you have God's perspective about your children? Do you have God's perspective about your spouse? How are you seeing things? Because if you're seeing things through the eyes of man and through the flesh, you have an evil perspective, which is against the will of God, which is against the assignment of God, which is against the plans of God for your life. Look at the person next to you and say, I see clearly. Father, I thank you that we're going to see things through your eyes and only your eyes. Isn't it funny that Peter one moment gets a revelation from God and then the next minute he's trying to tell God what to do? Just close your eyes, Father, right now. Father, everything that is not of you in our lives, Father, I ask that you would expose it and that you would burn it out of us. Say this, say, Heavenly Father, everything that is in me that is not in line with you, that I cannot see, I give you full permission to burn it out of me. I want clean hands and a pure heart. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, do you want to be a follower of Jesus? These words are in red. You must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? For the Son of Man will come with His angels in the glory of His Father and will judge all people according to their deeds. And I tell you the truth, some standing here right now will not die before they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Father, I thank you for your word today. Father, I thank you that your word is a two-edged sword dividing between soul, spirit, joint, marrow, and judges the innermost intentions and thoughts of the heart. Father, today I ask that you will go where man cannot go and that you would do a work on the inside of us, that you would transform us on the inside, God, that you will renew us, that you will restore us, that you will break us through in Jesus' mighty name. Can you say amen? And so when the Lord, um, the Lord started teaching me about surrender, I was a minister already in church, a youth and children's minister already for eight years in America. I'd come from South Africa, and I, I, um, I don't know if you can tell, but I used to own a nightclub. And I loved dance, I loved music, I loved, my best friends were DJs. And that was just my thing. It was my passion. And coming out of the world, you know, I had an encounter with God when I was 16. But even though I had an encounter with God, I didn't surrender my life to God. Look at the person next to you and tell him, you can get saved, but still live your own way. Who's been there? Who's done that? Who made the movie? And so when uh, several, several years later, 23 years old, I had my life crashed. 
The, the only thing I escaped with was my life. Uh, I lost everything. Every, when you lose everything, I mean everything. I lost it all. And I, I, I made a decision on my 23rd birthday. I said, God, if there's anything you can do with my life, I've screwed it up completely. If there's anything you can do with it, I give it to you. And here I am over 25 years later, and I have the best life imaginable. I'm living in the place of my dreams. I have the most amazing family, and I've discovered who God called me to be. And I'm no longer living my way. I'm living God's way. And every year my life gets better and better. And just when you think it can't get any better, it just gets better. And it's not about the stuff I have. It's about the condition and the state of my being. Something changes in you and your whole perception of life. Every, you're no longer consumed by the things of the world. You're no longer tied up in the things of the flesh. <clears throat> the only thing that you're, you're, you're concerned about is being in Christ. And if you're living in the world or you're living in the sins of the flesh, you can't be living in Christ. You can't be in three places at the same time. And so when you come to God and you give Him your life, there has to be a transformation that happens on the inside of you. When you receive Christ, He comes and puts a new spirit in you. But then He wants to take out the stony, stubborn heart. And the heart is the mind, the will, the emotions, the imagination, your will. God needs to start doing a transformation in your soul. But if you're not ready for Him to come into that area and begin to work through that area, then your spirit will be saved, but your soul will not be prospering. Your soul will not be being transformed. And the Bible says in John, 1 John, Beloved, I wish above all things that you would prosper and be in health even as your soul prospers. And here's the thing. If your soul is lost, it doesn't matter how much you have in the world. There's nothing more valuable than your soul. There's not enough wealth in the whole world to purchase one soul. You are more valuable than all the wealth in the world to God. And so if your soul is lost, you can have nice things. You can drive nice cars. You can live in an amazing house. If you're running after the things of the world, God says you're greedy and you're an idolater worshiping the things of the world. Does it mean that God doesn't want you to have nice stuff? Absolutely not. But God does not want you to be living your life, waking up in the morning, running off to things. Because things are temporary. And you'll have them today and they're gone tomorrow. And if your life is built on temporary, every time your temporary is shaken, you shake. That's why you've got to build your life on something that is unshakable. The Word of God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. It cannot be shaken. It is unchanging. When you build your life on the principles in the Word, and you have a relationship with God, you will be solid. And you'll be able to go through any storm that your life faces, and you will come through on the other side. And people will look at you and say, how do you do that? You've got to see what I'm anchored in. That comes out of you when you're drunk sometimes. So say this, <clears throat> say the process that I am in is a process of surrender, yielding, and it starts with your soul. You've got to yield your soul. Why? Because when you're in the sins of the flesh, you're in those things. 
when you're in the spirit of the world, you have a lust with the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. That's what controls you. The spirit of the world controls you. But when you break through and you, you, you come out of the sins of the flesh, you nail them to the cross, and you no longer care about the things in the world, and you press to find yourself in Christ, living to please God, you come into an unshakable place of full provision, security, and safety. You come into the love of God, and you discover who you are and everything that God has for you. It's the most powerful way to live. But family, you have to guard your eye gates and your ear gates. Look at somebody and say, you've got to guard the gates. Because you see what goes into the eyes and into the ears goes into the heart. And Proverbs 4.23 says that you need to guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flows the streams of life. I said this on Wednesday night in our members meeting. I said this. You know, I was just writing stuff down that the Lord was just unlocking in my heart. And I realized something. You have spiritual hunger just like you have natural hunger. Look at somebody and say, you have spiritual hunger. Your natural hunger causes you to go eat food. It goes into your digestive system. It breaks down. And then, I don't know how exactly it happens, but it happens the food breaks down, and I think through the intestines, it is drawn into the bloodstream, and it carries nutrients to the body. I'm not in biology, but I think that's somewhat right. Okay, sounds all right. I was close. Don't uh, go look it up if you want to. So anyway, correct me later. So the same thing is in the spirit. You have spiritual hunger. You're eating all the time. You just don't realize that you're eating. Because what you're doing is it's going into your eyes. It's going into your ears. It goes into your heart and you meditate on it. You speak it out of your mouth and it provides strength for your spirit. The problem is if we're eating what the world is serving, then we're eating junk food from the spirit of the world. We're not eating anything nutritious and so if I'm watching CNN, and I'm watching Fox, and I'm, I'm going through social media, and I'm reading all the problems and all the stories, my soul is really going into turmoil and fear because the spirit of the world is rooted in the spirit of fear. So everything going in me is not giving me faith to break through. It's tearing me down on the inside. And I have no faith. I have no strength. My subconscious, which is my belief system, is weak because down subconsciously I'm thinking, oh, I'm sick. Oh, I'm going to die. Oh, maybe I'm going to have a heart attack like my mother-in-law or my father-in-law. You think about all the things that can go wrong. Subconsciously, you're moving towards those things because fear is controlling you. But when you get the Word of God and you start meditating on the Word of God and you start spending time in the presence of God, the Word of God is bread and it's meat and it sustains you. It goes into you. It comes alive on the inside of you. And now you have strength. You're doing the things that God calls you to do. You never get tired. You feel like you're on vacation all the time. That's my life. I feel like I'm on vacation all the time. And I'm working seven days a week. Why? Because I've surrendered my life to what God has called me to do, and I love it. Can you say amen? And if you don't love your life, you can change it. But let me tell you the key. The key is surrender. You have to let go of what you currently have. 
You got to make some changes. You got to make some lifestyle changes. You know what? You can diet all day long. Diet. Go ahead. But if you don't make a lifestyle change, the next week you're going to go back to eating your old way and you're just going to gain the weight back. It's pointless. It's a waste of time. It's the same thing in the things of the Spirit. You can come to church on a Sunday morning. I can lay hands on you. Shaka Zulu. You can get a breakthrough in the moment. But if you go back out there and you're feeding yourself fear and trash, you're not getting spiritually strong and you're going to stay in the same mess. So you have to make lifestyle changes. Look at somebody and say, you've got to change your lifestyle. You want a different life? You've got to change your lifestyle. And you've got to understand what you need to do to see the change happen in your life. Say, number one, I've got to guard the gates. What goes into the eyes? What goes into the ears? So that means you're going to have to separate from some things. Surrender. You're saying, I'm turning my back on the world. I'm turning my back on the, on the things of the flesh. What are the things of the flesh? You can read them in Galatians chapter 5, 19. Let me just give you a sneak peek. Are you ready? Those of you who think, I don't know what he's talking about. The sins of the flesh, what are those? Let me, let me give myself a reminder. Colossians, go to Galatians. I know it's in my Bible. Galatians chapter 5, 19. When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasure, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition. That means you walk over anybody to get what you want. Dissension, division. is always fighting. You're always in drama. Envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, anyone living that life will not inherit the kingdom of God. The things that God wants to give you as an inheritance, you can't, you can't enter into it because you're still living in this world. And you got to say, I am done with these things. I am nailing these things to the cross. And I am moving forward to move into the things that God has for me. What does the Holy Spirit have for you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When the Holy Ghost moves on the inside of you, you got all of these abilities that you never had before. Listen. If I suddenly was able to jump inside of you, there's movies like that, you know, and like, it's whatever, some spirit moved into somebody else, right? The Matrix or something. Anyway, if I had the ability to jump on the inside of you today, you would suddenly be able to cook things you could never cook before. You would. You would be able to stand up here with confidence. You could have been the shyest person on the planet, but you could get up here with confidence and preach with no worry, with no fears. Right? You could do that. Why? Because I was in you and I was helping you do those things. Suddenly you can do stuff you couldn't do before. If I moved on the inside of you, you could speak Afrikaans. You could speak a whole nother language. Hello, you would understand 100% what I was saying, and you could speak that language just like that. And I want you to know, I'm not moving in you. God, the creator of heaven and earth, the Holy Ghost, moved on the inside of you. 
And when God moves on the inside of you, there's a whole nother language that can unlock on the inside of you. How do I know this language? It comes from the Spirit of God. Spiritual gifts get unlocked. Revelation, teaching ability. When I don't know what to do, I'm like, God, I don't know what to do. And then what? He shows me how to do it. Why? Because greater is He who's in you than He's in the world. And when God moves in you, the things of the flesh, God gives you the power to say no to those things. He gives you power. I got the power. Can you say amen? Lift your hands. Say, God is on the inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I have no fear because my dad owns everything. Whew. I have peace. I have joy that doesn't come from the world, and the world cannot take it away. I can lay it down, but if I just choose to hold on to it, nothing in the world... He's going to crush me. So I got God on the inside. So good. So good. I got you. And so I met my spiritual mother. I call her, I call her spiritual mom. She's my spirit mom. And um, I remember sitting with her. My pastor at the time told me, you need to go see this lady from Africa. She's going to help you. And so, you know, I went to the meeting because I was told to go to the meeting. And, you know, you're a youth pastor. You've got everything going for you already. You know, teach me what. I come from Africa. God brought me through. He gave me all, you know, I had so much pride. Look at the person next to you. Say, pride is ugly. Say, U-G-L-Y. You've got no alibi. You're ugly. And so I was super ugly in my own pride. And she sat me down and she starts talking to me about the cross, which if you don't know, it's the foundation message in the Bible. You don't understand the cross. You don't understand nothing. Sorry to say it. And I was a pastor in ministry and I had no, I had no idea what the cross was about. How does that even work? I've been in church 20 something years and nobody not once taught me on the cross. They didn't tell me about surrendering my life. It was all faith and what you can get and what you can have and you can do all things. It was all this stuff about how in yourself you are strong and you can overcome. But nobody ever taught me how to open my heart and lay down the things. Bring them to the cross and get set free and delivered at the altar. Because the power of the blood is the most powerful substance on the planet. And so she sat with me for about two, three months. <clears throat> talking to me about the cross. And I sat there in my pride, and I looked at this woman, and I said, Shane, this lady's old. She doesn't have family taking care of her. I'm from Africa, so we've got some connection here. I'm going to help this lady. Really going to help her. Going to take care of her. She says God tells her at night, and suddenly he'll speak to her, pack your bags and then she'll get a phone call, and then she'll get a ticket, and then she's in another nation. I'm like, she doesn't have any place to live. She's making this stuff up. That's where I was. I'm going to help you, lady. After about three months of sitting in the meetings twice a week, two, three hours, talking to this lady, the lights finally came on. 
And I tell you, when I understood the message of the cross and surrender and the power of the blood, my life has never been the same again. And family, I tell you what, you, you grow up in your household, you grow up in a nation, you grow up in a community, and you learn all these things that are of this world, but you know nothing about his world. I grew up in South Africa during the time of apartheid. We lived in segregation. White people lived in their own communities. Black people lived in their own communities. We had eight Londers who were foreigners. These were people from Europe and all the different places in Europe. So in our country, my dad was from Lebanon, so I'm Lebanese-German. Then you have the Greeks, you have the Jews, you have the Italians. Then you've got the different tribes with all the different clans in the black culture. Then you've got the Afrikaner, the Afrikaansamansa. There's so much division in our country. We had, I had division in my home. I was divided in myself. I didn't know who I was. I didn't know why I was on the planet. I was lost and I was confused. And all you are, the world throws you around like a rag dog. Rag dog? Yeah, that's a new thing. A rag doll. They're nothing but a rag dog. Crying all the time. I don't know, babe. I'm just getting whacked right now. You know, you get thrown around by life. You have no purpose. You think nothing of yourself. And you set these goals to, you set all these goals to try and achieve things so you can put some badges on the wall so you can brag that you're something or you're someone. And, and the Lord spoke to me right before he called me into the ministry. This was after this my spiritual mom started ministering to me and really helping me. And the Lord, the Lord he, he gave me a dream. And I'll end with this. The Lord gave me a dream. And in the dream, I woke up in public naked. Scary. Because in the dream, it was so real. It was so real. In the dream, I'm thinking in my head, what the hell are you doing outside of your house without clothes on? In the dream. I'm like, why? It was so real. And I'm in a city. I'm in a dark city. And there's just concrete buildings all around me. And I have no way of escape in this dream. I'm naked running in a dark city. With no way of escape. And I'm in fear. And then I see dark shadows. Demonic figures on the walls all around me that appeared. And they're just mocking me and laughing and snickering and sneering. I felt such shame in the dream. And I had nowhere to run and I had nowhere to hide. I woke up from the dream. I was like, huh, thank God I'm in my bed. Anybody had a real dream before? Well, I had the same dream again. And so I went to my spiritual mom. I said, is there something sexually wrong with me? Is there something wrong that I want to go in the public naked? Is this some secret weird thing that I got going on that I need deliverance from or something? I don't know what this dream is about. Why are you showing to me twice, Jesus? Once was bad enough. Say, so when you have a dream twice, God's really trying to get through to you. Bible says you wake up in the middle of the night with dreams that terrify you. Book of Job. There's nothing more terrifying than dreams from God when he's like trying to wake you, shake you up about how you're living. And so 
right before we came into the, we started the ministry, um, the Lord called me home one morning from work. It was around 11 a.m. And I walked into the house. We just had a conference that weekend. And the Lord had asked me to give a seed that was really precious. I mean, it wasn't money because it, there's a difference between taking money in your bank account and giving it. And then God speaking you to give something that's precious. And so I obeyed the Lord and I gave what he asked me to give. And um, that Monday morning after the conference, I had an encounter with Jesus at home. And I, he played the whole dream for me again. And right after the dream, I saw him on the cross with a white robe around his waist. That white loincloth. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, when Jesus was hung on the cross... He wasn't wearing that white cloth that you saw him wearing in the Catholic church up on the cross. He was hung naked and ashamed. And he said to me, you're using your talents, your gifts and abilities to cover your nakedness. The enemy sees through it and he mocks you. But Jesus was hung naked and ashamed on the cross to strip you of your shame so you could wear the glory that man lost in the garden. And I just began to weep. And I want you to know, when you make a decision that you're going to surrender your life to God, it means you have to be ready to let go of everything that you currently have. You need to bring everything to the altar. You bring your relationships. You bring your business. You bring your finances. You bring your hopes. You bring your dreams. You bring everything that you've built in your own strength and in your own power. And you lay it on the altar. And you say, God, this is my life. Everything I own, everything I have, everything I desire, everything I believe, everything I think is right, everything that I've learned that is wrong, the good, the bad, the ugly. And you put it on the altar. And you let the fire of God come and consume it. And what's left, you keep. It's built on Him. But what is not of Him, let Him burn it away. See, people come up and pray a prayer, but then they go home and keep living the way they lived. And it's not about a prayer. It's about giving your life to God, picking up your cross and saying, God, I'm going to crucify the, all the junk in the flesh to this cross. Let it die. Everything that the world has a pull on me, Oh, I want this and I want that and I like her and I like him and I want to make this money and I want that car and I want to live in that country. All of the things, the less I want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to have a certificate on the wall to cover the fact that your soul is lost and you actually are broken and have nothing inside. All it is is a show which are walls to protect the truth. And the devil sees right through that mess. You can fool people, but you cannot fool God and you cannot fool the devil. And every season that God is going to move you forward, there's another level of surrender. It's a continual life of surrender. We, we've reached levels of success and God makes us put it back on the altar again. All in. Empty the bank account. Let this thing go. And you think, oh, I'm only going to face this test once. No. Every time God wants to take you higher, He requires it all on the altar again. Because we think that our way is right and we have branches and things that grow up that are not of Him. And He needs the fire to burn it out so that you stay on the right track. Say, so I'd rather have the fire now than the fire later. Can you say amen? 
So this is the foundations of surrender. I got to give my all. I got to put it all. I got to come genuinely before God. I got to be honest about my life, the abuses, the hurts, the rejections, my, my messed up past. I got to bring it all to God and let Him clean it up. Can you say amen? Look at the person next to you. Say, God has got the power to set you free, to clean you up. But you've got work to do. Stand with me. God has given the priesthood or those that, those that are in ministry, even, even those as you're serving people, God has given us three things. But specifically, the Lord has shown me, He's given me three things that I have to cleanse the people. Why do we need to be cleansed? Because if you're not cleansed, you're a defiled temple. Do you not know that you are the temple of God? God lives on the inside of you. God wants a holy temple of prayer and worship. Say, I am the house of God. God lives inside of me. But I can't mix God with the flesh and I cannot mix God with the world. I got to kick my, these things out of the temple. I got to clean the temple out to make it a place where God can dwell. See, if I have now judgment against somebody, I am now in judgment. I cannot be in Christ. Can't be in two places at the same time. If I'm in fear, I can't be in faith. So I got I to ask God, show me what I'm in to help me get out of it so that I can come in you. But there's blinders and we don't see what we're in. That's why we need the Holy Ghost to show us things, illuminate things, bring things to the surface so we can come to the cross or to the altar and lay it down. And God has given us the blood of Jesus. Say the blood of Jesus. Which is going to cleanse us of dead works. It's going to cleanse the conscience of dead works so you can worship God. That's rituals and things that we do to try and get to God. And I'm going to get into the things of the Spirit. I'm going to show you the doors that you already have, that you might not even recognize how you can connect with God. It's so good. You'll have to come back for it. Isaiah 6.6, he took a call from the altar to cleanse the lips because I'm a man of unclean lips. God wants to clean you up so that your speaking comes in line with his speaking. So there's the blood, there's the fire, and then there's the water. There's the washing with the water of the word. Do you know that when you worship and we sing the word, the Lord showed me in the spirit one day, that as you worship, the words wash over the soul and they cleanse your mind. Worship cleanses your thought life. And it realigns you. Can you say amen? I'm just so glad to be a part of the family. No matter what you're going through, I got you. Got me.